what if I lean in the opposite direction? What if I purposely design a life around making less and doing less? Um, what might emerge? Um, and I think like what I now understand what has happened over the last five years is basically a shift from legible ambition to illegible ambition, which I describe as legible ambition is the story your parents can tell their friends about what you're up to. Illegible ambition is hard to understand by others, but also hard to understand by yourself. It's a, it's a feeling. It's really a state of connectedness. Um, a friend David Perel calls like hearts on fire, right? And once you find this, like outcomes, goals, achievements, metrics kind of become laughable because you realize you can do anything. Welcome to the Wild on Purpose podcast, a place for those deeply committed to knowing themselves and embodying their authentic purpose in the world. I'm your host, Kelly Wild Miller. In this show, we gather to discuss what it truly means to lead by our essential nature and uncage our greatest gifts so we may share them with others. We'll be exploring an expansive range of topics from health and healing, spirituality and consciousness, to relationships, work, and more. As we turn over many stones, we'll uncover a golden thread inviting us to rewild our bodies and minds while awakening our souls and stepping more fully into our purpose. Thank you for being here and please enjoy this wild conversation. Hello, wild ones. This conversation with Paul Millard may be the very thing that helps you rethink your perspective on work. Paul is the author of the recently published book, The Pathless Path, Imagining a New Story for Work and Life. Paul has been writing pretty much every day on his blog, Boundless, since 2017 and gradually redefined his relationship with the concepts of work, money, status, and fulfillment by experimenting with his curiosities and really asking himself what matters most. Paul left a prestigious career in consulting to wander and find himself. And literally through the process of wandering in Taiwan, he discovered that there was more to life than what the American dream had prescribed, or the default path, as he calls it. This episode traces Paul's story, as well as bits of my own, and highlights that although it can be scary and hard to break away from the default paths of career and life success, there are many people, ideas, principles, and perspectives you can take to walk your own pathless path. And that by committing to your deepest joys, talents, desires, and curiosities, you will create a life that feels uniquely and wonderfully yours. To me, Paul is an amazing bridge between some very profound philosophical concepts on self-realization and how to actually apply them in a grounded and pragmatic way as normal working people in the Western world. I hope you'll leave this conversation feeling more curious about your own relationship with work and feeling better resourced to do some self-exploration. And don't worry, he offers practical guidance on how to do this right outside your own door. As always, I'd love to hear what gold nuggets really resonated with you in this conversation, so just send me a message. And without further ado, Mr. Paul Millard. Welcome, Paul. Thank you so much for being on the Wild on Purpose podcast. It is a joy to have you. Pumped to be here, Kelly. Excited to uh, dive in. Thank you. So let's start by just orienting all of us to where you are in the world. Where are you located and what's happening in the natural world around you right now? I'm in Austin, Texas. Um, I'd say what's happening in the live, in the natural world. The thing that's drawn me and my wife to Texas and Austin specifically is we're meeting a lot of alive and connected and creative people. Um, so at least the humans that are wandering around this city, um, that is very exciting. More broadly than that, uh, we're shifting to, to winter leaves are starting to die. So, um, 
the shifting seasons too. And experiencing that for the first time in Texas, uh, this particular season shift. So it's cool to experience that in new places. Yeah, I could definitely relate. Johnny and I have been witnessing our first fall in a very long time happening in Boulder. And it's nice. I feel more connected to these transitions that we're in. You guys have either been in Bali or in the in deep snowstorms or uh, or beaches in Mexico and stuff. Yeah, yeah. I think us coming here and being in a place with four seasons and very low humidity has been very helpful for me. So, to kick off, uh, this is a question that I'm asking all my guests, and it is: In what ways were you wild as a young child? And how was wildness viewed in your family? That's a it's a good question. I think um, I think I'm not natural. Like wa- wild is an interesting word. I think wild can be a frame that's wild as seen as other people's eyes. I think now I'm sort of seen as wild to my family as somebody that's not in a full time job. Somebody that's like living in different countries and doing all these things. It doesn't feel wild to me. I feel very I feel very firm and um grounded doing these things. Um but I think the ways I was wild as a kid maybe um was exploring just the internet and computers. I loved it. Um building websites and doing things online. I was like buying and selling things on eBay by like sending cash to random people around the world. And, um, I don't think people ever really knew what I was doing, but it felt very adventurous for me and exciting and exploratory. I was always somebody that sort of like followed the rules though. I was always like good in school and sort of just my, my natural orientation toward the world just worked really well with how the world worked as a kid. I think as I grew older, my orientation bringing alive that wildness of wanting to explore and be curious and wanting to learn put me in opposition with how the world works, right? As a kid, all those things are great. But as an adult, people want you to conform and do what they're doing. Or they've internalized scripts and they expect that you've internalized the same script. So yeah, I think um, a lot of my journey has been recapturing that sense of adventure or wildness, as you put it, as an adult. I love that. And it's a beautiful segue to why I'm so excited to have you on this podcast. And I know the word wild can be... It's it's a really loaded word. Um, But the way I see it is very much how you just described it. It's really coming back to our sense of curiosity, exploration, a, a desire to know ourselves beyond the scripts that were given to us, passed down to us through family, school, society. And your story, which I'm excited to go into, of really reframing how it is that we look at the idea of work. From my perspective, it feels like you're on a rewilding journey with work that might then be also filtering out into other areas of your life. Going from the three stages, I call them caged, feral to wild. Caged, obviously, being very much under the influence of those scripts, of those conditionings. Feral then being this stage where we're trying to break free of it. We're trying to figure out who we are. It's a little messy. It's a little scary and complicated. And then eventually into wild, which really is more of a a grounded, rooted expression of just our authenticity and our unique genius out in the world. And when I think about you and what you've written and what you've shared um, and how I've experienced you, I really feel like you've been on this amazing rewilding journey of going from caged to your own version of wild. (laughs) Yeah, it's an interesting journey. I think it's really funny because I feel so calm and connected on my current path. Um, And other people see it as like a wild thing to do what I'm doing. But it doesn't feel wild. In some ways, my previous path felt more wild in the sense that like, I was like disconnected. I had this tension. I had this sometimes drama would emerge in my work world relationships and things like that. But yeah, it was very much caged. And it, but it was a cage of my own creation. 
Right. And at the, the beginning of my work career, it I don't think I was caged. And I think I was pushing the edges of my own learning and my own growth. But eventually, the cage sort of appeared around me and I didn't realize it was there. The problem was I didn't have peers or friends that had taken different paths. I didn't know people like you and Johnny. Um, I didn't know people um, like digital nomads taking different paths. So you just look around and like everyone's in the same room. Uh, You don't realize you're in a cage, but you also don't realize it's a cage for me and not a cage for other people, right? (laughs) It was a cage for me the way I was oriented. And this new path is amazing for me. And I am like reprogramming how to exist in this new way of orienting in the world. And a lot of what I read about is the default path is the dominant reality for the world, whether we want to believe that or not. And when you leave that path, you are in opposition to that. So you sort of need to create your own world. Uh, You need to create your own friends. You need to create your own systems. You you need to create your own uh, principles and definitions of success. So yeah, you are like creating a new territory. So like rewilding in a sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, beautiful. And I'd love to dig into what the default path means to you, how you would define that. Um, but first, I just want to give a little bit of background on how we know each other. So you are one of the closest friends of my husband, Johnny. You guys have been on these these self-exploratory work paths for, I think, at least four years. And you and your wife, Angie, came and lived with us for a little bit in Puerto Escondido in Oaxaca during 2020, when for some reason we all found ourselves living in Mexico during the pandemic. <laughs> yeah. And it's been really sweet to watch you, yours and Johnny's friendship blossom and deepen over the last four years as you both have owned more of your own pathless paths and creating these worlds that you really want to live in. So I first just want to thank you for being in his life to that degree. Yeah. I I mean, Johnny's been somebody very special to me because uh, about a year into my journey, I was at a conference, World Domination Summit, and we had this sort of just instant connection from talking. I think we're at very similar phases of very different journeys and very much in that like feral stage of being lost, kind of flailing around, saying stuff, clinging to goals we thought we were headed towards, things like that. Um, and he walked up to me and handed me a book the next day. And he's like, you got to read this. Um, it was his copy of The Three Marriages by David White. And really the past four years since reading that book has been an exploration of those three marriages, uh, marriages to self, uh, work, and a partner. And I think all of those things have gotten better. And I think uh, for him too, it's very similar. He's uh, explored those things as well. And it's, uh, yeah, these things are so hard. and. It's the, that like feral stage you're talking about is I write about this in my book is when you leave a path that makes sense, you are then thrown into an uncertain territory. Everyone then asks you, what are you doing? What are your plans? What are you doing next? The truth is you have no idea. <laughs> and you feel this at the deep. If you are connected to yourself, you feel this and you know this. You have no idea where you're going and you have no idea what will will happen. That is exactly when you're fully tempted to start making up stories and telling people, which makes meeting people along the path so vital. Because if you can meet people at similar phases in the journey, you don't have to pretend. (laughs) You can just say, I have no freaking idea what I'm doing. Let's just hang out and be with each other, right? Um, So meeting people like you, meeting people like Johnny, um, meeting other like digital nomads, people that had opted out of a default reality, default path of get a job, put your head down and do that for the rest of your life. Super valuable. And that's been an important part in my journey and very motivating for me because I feed off the energy of other people. 
it's funny how many people are like succeeding on paths like mine, like far beyond me, like financially. I know people making hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not like over a million. And their parents are still, "Mm, don't you want to get a real job? Aren't you concerned about healthcare? (laughs) It's, uh, It's still kind of crazy that these alternative paths are not super accepted, but that's a lot of what I explore in my writing is like, how do we manage this? How do we deal with it? And why are so many people ignoring all the upsides too? Yeah. Thank you for sharing, Paul. What this reminds me of is my own journey through the the world of high achievement in school. Uh, Definitely a straight A student for as long as grades were a thing. And um, that, that demeanor in school took me all the way through seven different colleges where I really wanted to just be the top student. And that was my driving motivator. When I finally got my undergrad degree at, at 25, when I went back, I came back so that I could like thrive in school, but not with any idea of what was coming next. And I, I've done a lot of deep dives into this of realizing that scholastic high achievement for me meant receiving love and validation and very temporary feelings of success. But then when school was done and that way of being in the world was gone, was was over, I found that that way didn't support me in actually becoming an adult and figuring out what it really was that I was here to do, what type of work I really was going to thrive in. So I took all sorts of different jobs. And like you, I was good at them. I worked in angel investments, uh, tech startups, marketing and PR firms. And every time I quit, my employers were like, what are you doing? We want you here. Like, you're so good at this. And I was like, yeah, I'm good at a lot of things. And yet I have no idea what it is I actually want to be doing. But my body and emotions and all of that kept telling me like, get out, like go do something else. But it was so uncertain of what that thing actually was. And it took me a long time to find people who spoke a similar language, had similar, I guess, pain points. And it really wasn't until I started traveling internationally that I found those humans in places like Bali and, um, and Guatemala and meeting people in co-working spaces and kind of the digital nomad community was my first introduction to those who were designing their own paths. Yeah, the the modern world basically operates under the assumption that you just need to find the thing, which boils down to find a job title um, or department to join in a big company, and then like everything will be figured out. I think I actually got lucky in that the underlying things I got to do in consulting like make sense of ideas, read a lot, research and bring those ideas together. I actually really enjoyed that. So I was able to sort of mask that I didn't know what I wanted to do or that I didn't see this as an ultimate long-term career path by basically just jumping from job to job. So I would just change jobs like every 14 months to 24 months. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I worked at like four or five, uh, five different places in, in eight years of working. But on the outside, it was impressive company names. So like people sort of excused it. I think it's even harder if you're like going industry to industry and probably doing what you're doing, right? And people are like, what the hell are you doing? Just stick here. You'll have it made. But you probably didn't find the thing to like work on that was like bringing you alive. And that that is so hard, but I think it's worth finding. And this is, this is the hard truth too about this is it might take years to find. And you might not make any money. You might not have any proof that you're onto something. And the only thing you can follow is basically a feeling. Mm-hmm. But I think that feeling is worth following and is probably one of the most important things for some people is to find things you're connected to, find things that matter. And unfortunately, millions of people think that just ignoring that and getting a job is a much smarter way to live life. (laughs) 
So I think what I've been trying to write is that's not true for everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can you talk more about this, the sense of feeling? For me, it, it, I always described it as like this tug. I was like, there's this invisible tug that is pulling me somewhere through an open ocean and I can't quite tell where it's going, but I know I need to follow it. And it wasn't always, you know, joyful by doing that. It was terrifying. And like you said, people saying, what are you doing? Like, just get a job and settle in one place. And can you just commit and like, just stop. And when you're following this invisible feeling or this tug, and you have that type of feedback coming from the people who care about you most in life or the ones who appear to have it all together, like it is, it takes an enormous amount of inner resources to keep moving forward. So that, that feeling's got to be pretty strong. Yeah, I'm always amazed by the people that do have it figured out. I have friends who really do thrive on the default path. And I'm like, in another life, I want to just try that out. It's probably pretty nice <laughs> to be born in today's world and figure it out and have a high paying job and really thrive and love that. I think most people have these feelings. So I talk to a lot of people who are in work situations and fully know that they're not quite happy. Something is off. There's more they could be doing. And I think most of it comes down to just learning to listen to your body. Most of us short circuit our bodies by listening to the intellectual side of our brain. It's very easy to be like, well, I can't just, people say things to me all the time. You can't just not work. Well, yeah, you you actually can. You actually can. You can just take time off. You can walk away. It's kind of crazy when I left my job that you can literally just walk out of the building and like the next day you don't have a job. It was such a dramatic shift in reality and it was only one day to the next, right? But I was following a feeling and leaving my job gave me more space to actually get more in touch with that feeling. And it wasn't even until like a year and a half into leaving my job and moving to Taiwan and basically not having any work to do because of my own failure to land virtual freelance gigs, I was able to like slow down, have enough quiet, have enough stillness to be like, oh, there there are things I was ignoring for so long. And I think like I really started to let this side of me I love ideas. I love exploring ideas. I love writing. I love creating. I love like connecting to others. And I was so afraid to admit these things and say they mattered in my own past path. I think we, especially as men, like we learn to be ashamed of our feelings and ashamed of like having desires to do things that don't quite fit in especially if you're succeeding, it it was really hard. People said some pretty harsh things to me. They, did, they didn't know it was harshful, but it was like, don't you feel like you're wasting, wasting like the opportunities you have, like wasting your potential, wasting your degree? The message being like, isn't the whole point? I would want to make a lot of money. Don't you think you're selfish for like pursuing what you actually care about? And it's just hard to do these things. But yeah, learning to listen to like my heart and my body and try to design a life around doing things I actually want to be doing became my whole focus once I moved to Taipei and had some more space in my life to think, ponder, wander, and uh, write. Hmm. What I'm really hearing is your heart that that feeling that was emanating from inside of you was so strong and so loud that it gave you a bit of resilience to kind of weather the storms of people coming at you and maybe saying some some fairly harmful or just unsupportive unsupportive things um but then really getting over into Taipei where you're very much removed from your normal existence and in that place finding more space and time to really lean into those feelings inside of you and say what's here yeah, I think there's something magical about 
travel and travel not to go on a vacation, but travel to experience a different reality. Taipei was distant in time, 12 hours away from the US. It it was distant in culture, the default culture, and it's a very homogenous culture there, but very different. And just the difference in terms of um, my identity, the distance between my old identity, like it was a little hard for me to kind of try on this new way of being in the world in New York and Boston. There's just not people to hang out with the middle of the day. (laughs) At least in Asia, there's like expats who are like underemployed and working weird hours and like you can wander in the middle of a day in a work week. (laughs) Harder to find in Boston and New York. <laughs> and part of why I'm in a place like Austin, uh, where, where it's like Austin and Boulder, where you are, like two of the few places in the US where you can find people on slightly weirder paths. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what happened for you when you got to Taipei and you started wandering and spending time? What kind of insights emerged and how did you change? Yeah. One of the things that became crystal clear is that I I really had like nothing to do. I had no friends. I had one friend there who had been living there, but he had like a job and he had other stuff going on. So he couldn't hang out with me every day. So I really had like, I didn't have many connections. I was really struggling in my first year of this self-employment of like finding myself and like figuring out what it was all about. And I went over there not I I wasn't in like fully engaged live mode. I, I think I needed to like disappear and disconnect for a while. I needed to go into myself more. Um so even when I was there I I really just started like walking around, wandering, reading and I kept being drawn to write. That was when I started writing more consistently. It went from like something maybe I published something every couple of months or every few months to like every week I started doing a newsletter and I sort of made a commitment to myself to write most days. And I think this was like right after I met your husband, Johnny, he gave me that book by David White and David White just inspired me to tap into these sides. I think he gave me a portal like via language to like access this side of me. I'm like a very analytical dude. (laughs) Very good at math, very good at numbers, very good at like rational thinking. And David White's language gave me a portal that was like just analytical enough that I was able to like start thinking about my body and soul and all these things a little more. That is really what I think lit a fire in me. So I started writing and I set gave this mantra to myself. I just write most days. I'm not one of these productivity people. It's like, you got to write every day. You got to keep a streak going. It's like, no, I can keep it going. Write most days. And that just to me emerged as like, okay, I think this is the most important thing. I don't know why. Four plus years later... I've written a book. I'm still writing like most days, like I was writing this morning. And it's the thing I enjoy the most. And I've tried to build my life around it. I do other things to make money, but I try not to make those my life. I try to make them like very either transactional or to the point or like things that can make money without me selling my time. And it's all to like, keep the journey going because the writing is the fuel. It's the energy. It's the whole point. It's the end in itself. There's no arrival uh, with the writing or creating because I want to do that 30 years from now when I'm older. So yeah, that exploded for me. And four weeks in, I met the woman who would become my wife. (laughs) And I think I just fully put it all out there. There, there was no filter. It was just telling what I was experiencing, what I was dreaming of, what I wanted to do. And she just like, was like, yeah, of course, that's great. <laughs> um, she didn't laugh and she just like fully saw me for who I was. 
And that was just really powerful too. And I think she was at the start of her own journey as well. And I think from there, like, I think we just sort of made a commitment to each other. And that made it the journey so much better because we had permission from each other to be ourselves and keep going. I decided to stay in Asia for the next year. She was pursuing some work stuff. So yeah, so much, everything changed in that first month in Taipei. Um, I found a work, I found a relationship and I found a deeper connection to myself, which was really the three marriages that David White planted in my head a few months prior to that trip. Mm. Wow. Thank you, Paul. What, what really, a couple of things really stand out in that for me. One is, um, like when I think about my travel journey and starting to go visit other cultures and places around Europe and Bali and Central America, I still had a large narrative and force in my life that was like, but you still have to be productive. So I would get to those places and like immediately find the coffee shops and the co-working spaces and the people and then like get right on my laptop, but in this unique place. And in hindsight, I really wish that I had given myself the permission to just wander, like you said, to just freely go and see what happens. No, no need for it to be meaningful or productive. You're, you're just meandering through life. And I've now realized after trying, it's it's a very hard pattern for me to break of of giving myself permission to just be unproductive and see what wants to emerge from that place. And it seems like by you giving yourself permission to just fully like unplug for a month or more, partially by circumstance of you not knowing anybody over there and everybody having jobs and probably no like a hustling and bustling co-working space to go and like distract yourself at that real magic and serendipity got to emerge and like real truth from within got to emerge. And more, the more people I talk to, I realize like this isn't, this is sort of predictable. So many people I talk to that take a break from what I call worker mode and worker mode is you don't have to have a job. It's just the idea that you need to be doing stuff for other things, right? I'm doing this for, clicks. I'm doing this for readers. I'm doing this for a potential job. I'm doing this for clients, all these things, right? If you can take a break from that from one to three months, um, typically people are able to reconnect with themselves. They reconnect with their forgotten hobbies. They reconnect with their selves. They get they become more present. They figure out what they really want to be doing. They start writing. All these things are like actually like so consistent. <laughs> Um, but I didn't know I needed to do this. So this is what inspires me to write about it. It's like tell people, a lot of people return to their jobs too after doing these things. And they are like so much happier because they figure out what matters and what their boundaries are and what their trade-offs they're making are. So yeah, before I went on that trip, I was becoming curious with our relationship to work. And I realized that the fabric of work has absorbed everything in modern society. We see everything as like a product of helping us in our careers and helping us succeed and helping us achieve. So I just became more and more curious of this question. What if I just don't work? And that was part of the voice pulling me forward too is, okay, like everyone's telling me I should be super afraid working on my own, not having steady income. But what if I lean in the opposite direction? What if I purposely design a life around making less and doing less? Um, What might emerge? And I think what I now understand what has happened over the last five years is basically a shift from legible ambition to illegible ambition which I describe as legible ambition is the story your parents can tell their friends about what you're up to. (laughs) Illegible ambition is hard to understand by others, but also hard to understand by yourself. It's a feeling. It's really a state of connectedness. A friend David Perel calls like hearts on fire, right? And once you find this, 
outcomes, goals, achievements, metrics kind of become laughable because you realize you can do anything. <laughs> like if you find a work you can commit to, like I find writing, like I have I have the sense that like if I really wanted, I could make a lot of money from this. But I can also just slow it down and take a much longer journey. Like I'm just going to write for the next 30 years. It's pretty clear that like amazing things will happen from this. But like I'm not in a rush. I don't need to be successful next month because I know it's still going to be there, right? In many jobs, like people have to maximize for success in their 20s or 30s because they sense they're going to burn out or they sense they're going to come to resent their work or they sense they are sacrificing something. So like everyone's in this mindset of like, I need to like, you need to get the promotion now. Like, I just want to like be set for when I have kids, right? But if you find a work that you can commit to, like, I think outcomes are really just a matter of like, how fast do you want to go? Mm. Wow. This resonates so big for me right now with even in just the last couple of days made a, a real commitment to myself to just slow down and create slowly and to live slowly and get off this kind of hyperactivity, invisible, there's like this invisible goal that doesn't even really exist that seems to pull us towards like, I got to work faster. I got to, I got to do these things and it has to happen now. And I attribute it to living life heavily caffeinated. Just like, it's this approach to life that feels like it's fueled by strong espresso. And I actually just quit coffee this week because I was realizing that even stimulating my system and my body was creating more of a, that type of feedback loop to just always be fast and always be on Versus what I'm hearing from you is like this slow, deliberate, gradual, easeful, like relaxed place of just like, I know who I am and this is what I love to do. And cool. That's my life. Yeah. And it's confusing too, because we still live in a reality where everyone's doing impressive things. And I think this is hard to understand because people who do have this deeper connected state, Some of them might be pursuing very ambitious goals and they might be communicating those goals externally. But what's really driving them is something deeper and more internal. They sort of just invent the story just to like fit in and go long. So sometimes it can be practical just to make up a goal, just to tell people, just to like (laughs) go along with things, right? I do think there is some value in like not fighting the system too much. Right. So if people tell you like what your goals are, maybe I'll say something like I'm trying to grow my podcast audience. The truth is like, I don't really care. (laughs) Like I'm just going to keep doing it and play the long game of like putting more episodes out. Yeah. I've come to terms more recently with like, maybe I'm just being annoying by saying I don't have goals. Like maybe I should just like make up something. And then like also like you're giving people an invitation to help you. Um, so if you give them something to grab onto, like that could be helpful <laughs> to some people. So yeah, it, it's hard to exist in a world that demands outcomes, goals, fame, money, status, um, to say like, no, I'm just happy. I'm just going to like do my thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, um, I love what you said around legible ambition versus illegible ambition and, Maybe there are times to be living between the two and really holding on to that feeling state that is the illegible ambition, knowing that's like the real core driver. You know, you said soul earlier, hearts on fire, like this, this thing you can't really wrap words around unless you go uber poetic, like, um, like David White, but also recognizing that we are still living in this world. So it's like being in the world, but not, not necessarily of the world and not completely checking out from, I guess the modern, the modern way of being. And I think about some people that I've met along my travels 
who might always live in a spiritual community out in Bali or have just said like, no, fuck it. Like I'm going to go live at Lake Atitlan and just go deep into my spiritual beliefs and practices. And, you know, in some ways that's awesome. And to me, it also feels like they've checked out from wherever they've come from. And I've thought about doing that for sure. It felt really tempting at times to just never come back to America and then there was a part of me that just said, no, I want to go home while holding on to this, these new insights that I've gathered about myself. And can I truly be my authentic self while living amongst the chaos? I guess. It sounds like you're doing something similar. Yeah. I think es- escaping permanently is like a failure mode of a lot of people who leave conventional paths, right? It might work in some cases, but I do think it's sort of like a cope for like an inability to deal with like the tensions and frictions, right? I think some of the most impressive people were the ones that left the world and then came back. Steve Jobs lived on like, uh, he like escaped to like, I'm forgetting the word for it, but like... He lived on like a farm with a bunch of hippies for a few years, dropped a bunch of acid and came back, right? He also like was at Apple, left Apple, went and explored at a bunch of other companies and eventually came back to Apple. Like you leave the world to come back to the world. This is Joseph Campbell's um, hero's journey, right? You go into the underworld to come back and you're sort of integrating uh, what you've learned to have a bigger impact in the world. And I think like people like Alan Watts, um, right? Ram Das, like they leave, they go to India and then they come back to the US and like try to share what they've learned and have an enormous impact on the world. And I think there's power in that. I think I found in a lot of people in like these communities we've lived in, like Bali, Puerto Escondido, sometimes you meet people that are just in so reach, they're, so in rejection. And I was like this in my first year, first few years of my path is like, you're so scared of your past identity that you wanted to run away with, that you're against everything, right? And you're in this anti-stance, but an anti-stance is not a personality. It's not an identity. You're just against stuff. Right? You're not for anything. And the real power of a path like this is finding what you're for. Finding like who is the new version of yourself. Maybe you actually have some elements of that old self and it's okay. I think moving back to the US a year ago for me was really scary because it was like, oh, I'm going to have to make more money. What if I like start making more money and like become my old self again? The last year has really been releasing myself and realizing, oh, I can be bold on the things I know I care about with the boundaries I've like learned and I'm okay. I've constantly been having to have a pep talk with myself. Hey, Paul, you're doing stuff that's scary and bolder and you're okay. You're okay. <laughs> it's five freaking years. You're not going to become your former self again. <laughs> it's okay. And that's been really hard and really cool at the same time. And I try to write about that too, just to make people realize you can resample some of the old things. And like, I've had enough distance where I'm like doing things with even companies with freelance work now. And it's like, I'm so far removed from that former self. I'm not going to fall into the traps I created for myself before. Like, yeah, you're going to be okay, Paul. Hmm. Yeah, you've really changed from an embodied place. And I think once that change happens, there's no going back. Might be a different cadence here in America with various types of influence. But yeah, I've been noticing this in myself since we got back to Boulder. And like you said, Austin, Boulder, these are unique communities within the United States where you can still find quite a bit of people, I call them creatures, who are just totally doing things in a funky, new, weird, unique, very individual kind of way. And uh, that community being surrounded by those kinds of people helps me feel like you're not crazy. You're not alone. And if anything, you are so celebrated for continuing to go deeper into your path. 
I imagine that's a little how it feels in Austin as well. Yeah. Austin is a great place for like internet weirdos like me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's still hard. Like some people are skeptical. Like I was writing about this this week. Last week uh, I went to this party. It was like this creator's party. So I thought, okay, I'm in a, I'm in a safe space. I can like say what I actually do. And then somebody was like, why, why do you do that? Oh no. I was saying like, oh, I write a podcast. Like I was like, about what? I was like, oh, our relationship to work and taking unconventional paths. And like, why would you write about that? I was like, I don't know. A lot of people are struggling with it. I talked to people. It was like, isn't what else is there to say? I'm like, oh my God, I need to exit this conversation so quick. But like some people really are uncomfortable with like what I'm talking about or just don't see it as like something worth sharing, right? This is why the internet is great. Like I only need to find like a few thousand people that care. And those are the people I'm writing for, the people that value that are looking for it and want to hear more. I'm not writing for the random guy at a party who's like, this is stupid. (laughs) Um, but there's, there's plenty of those people too. And it's like, that's why I've like being in Austin. There's a lot of people who do care and want to, are curious and are on different paths and we give each other permission and space to kind of keep going. Yeah, that's beautiful. And I, and I do know that there are more, many more than a couple thousand people, but from a business standpoint for you and as an individual, I'm sure you don't need them all. And yet, I, I really hope that your writing and your book does make it into the hands of many people because even just the the title, even just this concept of the pathless path is really a permission slip for, I feel, what is it, a deep urge inside of most beings, whether they're willing to look at it or not quite yet. Yeah, that's one thing I didn't realize. I think that's why my book took off this year is like my book has been this like this fake permission for people to talk to their friends and family about these things. So many people are like, I bought your book. It was amazing. I bought three copies to give to my friends. I think the first part I sort of expected because like people have been reading my writing. Like I've been writing nonstop about this for four years. So I sort of knew my stuff was resonating. That's what drove me to write a book. I did not expect at all people to share my book with others as an excuse to talk to them about work. So that's been really cool. And I just love that like people are using it as a fake permission slip to just like talk <laughs> about what they want um, out of life and work. Mm, I love that. The fake permission slip. That feels very humble that you put the word fake in there. Yeah. So I'm curious well, it's, for people. Oh. It's like the um, 50 shades of gray effect, right? Like that is similar. Like people use that book as a permission to talk about things, right? It's like, oh, now we can talk about this because I brought up the topic of this book. Yeah, I've never quite put that together before that we might lean on entertainment and other people's expertise and an interesting concept that lives outside of ourselves as a as a means of really just seeing ourselves more clearly. And, you know, I, I operate in the authentic relating world and trying to, trying to learn how to communicate what it is we deeply care about, what our pain points are in life. Like that is a skill that it's a muscle that needs to be developed over time. I don't think most families grew up with that type of open communication where you're just free to talk about your deep desires and how things aren't working and being in safe community is that's been life-changing for me. Like you said, when you met Johnny, just let's just be real where we're both at right now. Every step along the journey. Yeah, for sure. So I'm curious for, for people who are ready to get on their own pathless path or feel a bit of that, that, that pull, that ache within themselves. Um, what are some of the things that you recommend that, might include travel, it might include, you know, but maybe also for people who can't quite leave. I think the smallest thing you can do is take an afternoon and wander without a goal. I ask many people, have you ever taken, have you ever walked somewhere without a destination? And a surprising amount of people have said like they've never done this. 
right? Just leave your house, your apartment, wherever you are and just go for like an unspecified amount of time, unspecified direction. We live our life so structured, orchestrated, planned. Just doing something like that can be a small act of rebellion that leads somewhere more interesting. And it's finding things like this. Another thing I tell people to do is do something you did as a kid that you used to love. For me, it's like basketball. Love playing basketball. Doing things like this can remind you of things you've forgotten. A lot of life is just remembering things we forgot as a kid. And reconnecting with this sense of aliveness really is the pathway to making yourself more curious. And then just paying attention, right? I think a lot of people's paths start as like this sort of unsettled nature, but then there's a sort of experimental stage when somebody might take a trip somewhere. This happened for me and I didn't really realize it was going. I took this like solo trip up the coast of California and I did some writing on that trip. I didn't plan out any of the days. I took it day by day and it was very, very energizing and exciting for me. And that was really just a pathway to more stuff, more experiments with my work, writing online, things like that on the side. And I didn't leave my job until a couple of years after that. But that trip so clearly was a turning point in me exploring. So yeah, take a non-vacation trip, just go somewhere without a plan and just do random stuff every day. Getting out of the like planned nature of how most people live their life, that's like the biggest recommendation I would make to people. And then just see what your body or the world is telling you to do next. Mm. Learn to listen. Mm-hmm. You, you said a word that Johnny and I use a lot, which is aliveness. Like follow this idea, this feeling of aliveness. What does that feel like for you? Yeah, so I think it's retroactive or reflective. It, it's upon reflection. So I think a lot of people have things they're interested in or excited by, and they confuse this with, oh, I need to pursue my passion, right? So they say like, oh, I'm really interested in basketball. I need to do something with basketball, right? Oftentimes that like doesn't end well. Just look at many people in careers. People want to help people so that they go become nurses. And then they they are in these jobs and they're spending 70% of their time doing administrative work and dealing with just nonsense of working in a hospital. It's not what they were after, right? So you have to reflect and say like, okay, what are the parts where I feel alive? And you can do this at any point in your life. What are the moments in which I feel so alive and I feel lost in time? Start thinking about those moments and just try to notice like what brings those together, right? So a big thing I've done on my path is I try to do a lot of experiments because I go with the assumption of I don't really know what is the mix of activities and things I want to be doing over the long term. So even now, I'm constantly just paying attention. Was this week good? Was this whole month, this collection of activities, how I structured it good? Um, Was this year good, right? What made it good? What wasn't good? What do I want to remix next year, right? And it shifts over time what you're interested in, what you're connected to. But yeah, I think being self-employed has been great because I can do many different experiments of like working in different ways and I can like design them to quit. Everything I do, I design to quit from the beginning. I don't plan to go all in with things until I know there's that sense of connectedness. So with a podcast, I said, okay, I'm going to do six episodes, very low effort, and um, design it to quit, right? So basically, just don't spend money on stuff until I've done six. In those first six, I was like, oh, I really like this. This is fun in surprising ways that I didn't expect. I want to keep doing it, right? And then you kind of ramp up from there. And I take a slower approach than most people. I'm very hesitant to like scale stuff up. So I didn't really commit to this podcast until to my podcast until episode 103 or something. (laughs) Um, Now I've committed to it in a more serious way. 
and I'm trying to be a little more ambitious in like my own flavor of ambition. That's, uh, that's how I think about aliveness and I'm constantly just trying to notice and reflect. The past couple of weeks have been so much fun and like I've really just liked it. The combo of living in Austin, doing things I like, having my own office space, doing certain things on certain days, having unstructured days, things like that. It's been great. Hmm. Beautiful. Thank you for spelling that out. I really love the idea of aliveness is, is understood with reflection. And that feels really true. Yeah. And it's a constant learning, right? You're constantly screwing it up and doing it wrong and <laughs> having days that kind of suck. And But you, you can get better. And the balance of my last couple of years versus like when I was working is just like way better. It's going from like a two to like an eight plus. So it's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so just a really deep invitation for everyone to to feel what's actually happening inside of themselves and to intentionally experiment and design a life that is like radically yours. Yeah, and I would experience like aliveness in my job. So I'd be like working on stuff, deep work and like feel really alive. But then I'd walk into like a manager's office and like you'd be grumpy and cynical and make some like negative comment about my work. And it would just like destroy that four hours of aliveness I felt, right? So I sense that aliveness is not, it can be like destroyed, (laughs) if that makes sense, right? So you could have this connected state, but then it's all just like uh, ruined by that experience of people that like don't appreciate your work or like you're just in different states, right? So... I mean, I've been very solo. I don't know how to do this at a bigger scale of like having employees and things like that, maybe in the future one day, but I've only figured out how to do it on my own and that's working for now, but I don't know what the future looks like either. Yeah. What I, what I pick up on there is it's not necessarily that the aliveness was totally null at the end of that. Like you still felt deep work and flow and probably presence in the activity. And then something about the grumpy manager, like bashing you or saying something, you know, kind of wiped the memory and and changed the memory a little bit. And yet while you're on your solo path, you are doing a lot of those same activities. You've just taken away the person who could potentially rain on your parade. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a great way to put it. Right. So if my liveness score for like that work is like, nine and then that experience of the manager is like a zero my overall score for the day or the week might be like very low because that's so much stronger in my experience of it whereas in my current life i'm able to say okay here are the things i know i like doing i'm gonna plan these into the day and then like maybe things that don't bring me alive i can like just chunk on like one day or just keep putting them off like I tend to do sometimes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. When we really design our life for ourselves, I think we can just can keep optimizing. Like I'm getting this, this numerical thing that you just offered is you're, you're optimizing. And that might actually be helpful for people to attach numbers to where they feel their joy on a certain spectrum of 1 to 10. And how much more 10s can you put into your life? Definitely. So Paul, in the, uh, in the interest of time, I am just wondering if we could wrap by just speaking about this upcoming adventure that you and your wife, Angie are about to embark on and how you're feeling with this news as you continue down your pathless path. Yeah. So we're having a baby girl, um, in March. I'm very excited about this. I think it feels like a great time, especially where I'm in my path and my wife's path. Um, It's an interesting journey as well. I think it's such a powerful and transformative thing for a woman. Everything changes almost instantly. For the man, I feel like it might be a little more transformative like once the baby arrives. Um, But I feel like I am, I'm really looking forward to like the constraints and just the commitment 
of like the ultimate long-term journey. I think like work stuff is fine. I've never thought like I'm very deeply a family person. So this feels like way more interesting and exciting for me than like, I don't know, I can write and I'll write for a while, do a bunch of stuff online, but like committing to like family and building that is, that's the ultimate work. Um, So yeah, I'm so excited for that. Wow. I'm so excited for both of you having spent the time that I have with each of you. (laughs) Angie's going to make an incredible mother. And I just... I, I love thinking about children growing up in the world today with parents like you who like with the work that you've done on yourself to become authentic and to find your own stride in life, like you sharing those principles with your children and allowing them to inevitably have their own path. And I'm sure when they're young and they're going crazy and they're finding out what they're curious about and they want to explore an adventure, like that's going to be probably really healing for you as well as so empowering for them as they grow up. Yeah. It's, it's also like, I don't know anything until I'm actually a parent. (laughs) Like I'm really approaching this with extreme humility. I can't really possibly know anything until I'm in the the actual experience. So, but yeah, I mean, I'm going to do my best and I think I'm more than ready. I'm 37 years old. So like, I feel like that's such a gift too. Like I think our generation is having kids older. So we've had more time for ourselves and it is a beautiful thing to be doing this and we'll see what we can do. Yeah. It's your fourth marriage. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think David White talks about like the the relationships with others is like your kids as well. Um, but yeah, it's um, yeah, it's going to be a good journey. Beautiful. We're really excited for you guys. Um, two final questions. So aside from David White, and definitely including David White. What are some of the other books or authors or thought leaders that you'd like to point people toward as they explore this landscape within themselves? I think I've gotten a lot out of Stephen Cope's Great Work of Your Life. That's been a really powerful book for me of like understanding this idea of like Dharma. And this is really talking about what I'm talking about is like this great work of your life was finding the work worth doing that's all about like having that feeling and following it and like hearing stories from history. It was really powerful. Another book I'm reading now, life is in the transitions by Bruce Failer. Really interesting framing. Basically he argues that like people go through these mini transitions literally all the time. We just pretend like life is a linear path and life is disrupted probably like 35 times. (laughs) in adulthood. And just that lens was really powerful. It's like, oh, my life's pretty normal. Um, Most people's lives are pretty weird and uncertain. Also, they just pretend otherwise. Yeah, those are two that are top of mind for me. Another one is Rebecca Solnit's Field Guide for Getting Lost. That was really powerful for me at the beginning phase of my journey. And uh, everyone should... uh, check out your stuff as well. I'm excited to see where your stuff goes. And also Johnny Miller, Curious Humans is pretty good as well. <laughs> yes, yes, definitely. I mean, cultivating curiosity, if, if we could all just do that, anchor curiosity into our nervous systems, I think the world would be a very different place. And for a final recommendation, um, I definitely have to say that picking up The Pathless Path, written by you, Paul, is... Is, has to be top in everybody's list. What I love, you've included a lot of quotes from these authors, but you've really distilled some pretty profound and deep wisdom uh, and then explained it through your own life journey and story. Um, so that makes it approachable. I think it makes it so our generation and people living in the Western world can see themselves in it. And yet you're delivering some messages that, you know, much more complicated texts might be trying to get through, like the Bhagavad Bhagavad Gita, which is technically what the great work of your life is based off of. 
And yeah. if you could, um, I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, of course. If you could uh, point listeners to where they could learn more about you, your work and writing and the book. You can just search my name or boundless.substack.com. That's where I still write really weekly. Yeah, I'm pretty easy to find. I'm the only Paul Millard with a real internet presence. So <laughs> just Google me. All right. We'll link everything into the show notes as well. <laughs> All right. Awesome. All right, Paul. Thank you so much, Kelly. Appreciate your curiosity and uh, companionship on these weird paths as well. Yeah. May we all keep rewilding and finding out what this, what this path really means. And it'll take us through the end of our lives, I'm sure. Thank you for listening to this episode of Wild on Purpose. Please think about writing a review and sharing it with your friends. If you'd like to learn more about my leadership offerings or join my newsletter, visit wildonpurpose.co. Lastly, I'd like to thank my podcast editor, Jabril Al-Suhaimi, for helping me weave this audio journey together, and all of those who have supported me along my path as a creator. Until next time, stay wild. Stay wild.